Welcome to What Do You Think I'm Al? And I'm Satan. And this uh, Christmas time movie. There, there's always like you know, there's always that one movie that only like comes out literally on Christmas. Um, yeah, we and that, we, we and we did an early preview of it. <laughs> yeah, because we were like, well, duh, this this is Michael Mann. This is uh, oh, Adam Driver. Legend. Like, folks, Michael Mann is that like. Let me just put it this way. There is no Christopher Nolan without Michael Mann. Like, straight up. See, would you agree with that? Oh, 110%. There's no Christopher Nolan with Michael Ma- without Michael Mann. There's no... Um, the modern heist movie would not exist without Michael Mann. Certain... Okay, all action movies have taken... Modern action movies have taken something from either... So, all modern action movies are either taking something from Tony Scott or Michael Mann. Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, it's like that's where they. And, it, and admittedly, for action movies, it's more Tony Scott. Let's be real, but like, there's there's always there's some Michael Mann energy in all in any darker action movie. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention the modern television drama really owes its existence to two TV shows: David Chase's The Sopranos, mm-hmm. and uh, Michael Mann being one of the forces behind. Miami Vice, a TV yes. show that came out that pretty much defined the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, but people might be asking, like, well, I don't get it. Well, what was so great about Miami Vice? Watch any drama that was on TV, and admittedly network TV, that, that was the only television there was. Look at any television drama before Miami Vice, and you're going to notice one big thing. They're pretty much all shot, like, they all do a point-and-shoot type like the cinematography is very basic, and what Michael Mann brought to the fold with Miami Vice uh, was that he was like, "Why don't we just do like high quality cinematography and lighting, like we do in the movies, like we did in my in my in my debut feature Thief," mm-hmm. and they did that. You know, like watch watch an episode of Miami Vice, and you'll be like, "Wow, there's close-ups." There's uh, it there's- looks like what Law and Order looks like now, to be honest. I would say even more so the, the 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 color. First of all, the color in Miami Vice is so much more vibrant. Oh yeah, um, no, it's, Miami Vice is better shot. But you basically, Dick Wolf not just took a page from uh from him, but literally copied down the book. Like pretty like, and I know this sounds crazy, but uh, every every show that dealt with like cops and stuff, they they really owe their current look to Miami Vice. Uh, the only other big show that kind of changed the game was uh, West Wing with the with the walk and talk mm. uh, and then obviously the Sopranos with their oh, and Twin, uh, Pe- Twin Peaks had a little something to do with oh that. yeah, that was, yeah. So, so, that was more in the writing to be that, fair. that was more in the writing and the Sopranos was more in the writing where you mm-hmm. could actually do like these complex characters that were that were just more dynamic right mm-hmm. so for writing it was definitely uh, a little bit of West Wing a little bit of of Twin Peaks, a lot of Sopranos, a ton of and, Sopranos, and for cinematography, the bulk of it really owes its existence to Miami Vice, and, and a the touch of and, Sopranos. Or sorry, and, sorry. Well, no, you're right. A touch of Sopranos and uh, the Walk and Talk from West Wing. So, although one thing I have to add about Sopranos, and I'll be fast about this, seasons one and two are shot almost completely differently from the rest of the seasons, and that's because the cinematographer they had died, um, but. The first two seasons of that show look more like Do the Right Thing, and then the later seasons, though equally amazing, look much darker. Is that when, um, what was his name, Phil Abraham took over? 
I believe so. Yeah, he's a uh, he's he's now like a really famous uh, uh, television director. He uh, yes, he is. He he directed the famous uh, Daredevil episode with the hallway fight, the very first one. So yep, yeah. But anyway, going back to Michael Mann. Michael Mann, like also, he didn't just kind of reinvent TV. He didn't just reinvent the heist movie. He didn't just reinvent how we do uh, gun shootout scenes in movies. He, you know, he also directed these really, really, really interesting dramas, Inside Man or The Insider. Uh, he directed um, uh, uh, Ali. Uh, he directed. He directed Last of the Mohicans. He directed Last of the Mohicans. His only like non nothing like his other movie. yeah. His only non contemporary movie. My personal favorite, by the way. Really, you, it beats Heat for you. Yes, because. Michael Mann has such a mastery of scale, mm -hmm. right? That, like, put it to you this way. Peter Jackson could not do Heat. Michael Mann could probably do Lord of the Rings. Mm. I know that. I know that's a hot take, but I, I stand mm. by that. Like, that's an interesting hot take. Yeah, I like, 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 no, no disrespect to Peter Jackson. He's I will. I will. Genius, I will but. Oh, of course. I will give you this with Michael Mann. To take the true story that the insider is based on and make it actually scary, that's 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 the work of a genius. Because yes, it's a true story and it's fascinating, but the way they made like the villains in that actually terrifying when in reality it's like, come on, they, they they couldn't have gone that insanely far with it. But it was still highly effective, and that was all the directing of Michael Mann. The something else people keep forgetting. So most people forget and. There's there's a reason for that. Most people forget that The Silence of the Lambs, starring Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster, was a sequel. Like, explicitly yes. a sequel to Michael Mann's Manhunter. Which I... That is one of the most underappreciated movies ever. Love yes. that fucking movie. It was, it was Michael Mann who realized... Uh, what was his name? Uh, Thomas Thomas Harris? Was that the author? I don't who realized know. He read uh, Red Dragon and was like, Wow, this Hannibal Lecter guy is a fascinating, fascinating uh, uh, character. I need to make a movie out of it. So uh, it had a ironic, and it's ironic you mentioned this, a guy who would probably be more known as the lead of CSI. Um, yes! Uh, what's, yes! What's his name? Uh, no, I know who you're Will, talking about. Will something. No, and no, his character's name is Will Graham. Of course, it was a very different actor who played uh, Hannibal Lecter. And here's the thing. I will never say like, oh, Anthony Hopkins is the goat, but the performance that the actor gives in that, which is the guy from uh, Succession, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Brian Cox. So Brian, Brian Cox, Cox played Hannibal Lecter. He matches. Will he matches that performance. And with, William uh, Peterson played Will Graham. Yep. And it's oh my god. No, he like like honestly, it's crazy to think about that. You know, Brian Cox has such a long and storied career, and. Like he does, he does Manhunter at every, like we have a, we actually, there's a professor from our old uh, undergrad days that his hot take was, well, Brian Cox's performance as Hannibal Lecter is better than Anthony Hopkins. I won't go that far, but I think it is, I'll, I'll, I'll concede that it is a virtual tie. I'll concede and, um, that. And no, that one gets a lot more praise than the other, but it's a virtual tie. Yeah. So what, what makes this really funny was that like, uh, I believe the only reason Michael Mann didn't do uh, he didn't do the sequel was because he had to do 
I think it was Last of the Mohicans. Wow, it, that's really funny. I think it. I think don't quote me on it. It was one of his early '90s movies that he's like, mm-hmm. I, I can't do it. So they hired this guy who did uh, who did concert movies, uh, oh, Jonathan yeah. Dem, Demi, and he's like, oh, I, I wanna I wanna cast my own Hannibal Lecter. So or and look, Bri- credit to him, he made an iconic movie. Yeah, obviously. but people forget that. Like I know everyone's like, oh, they just never made Red Dragon, like. No, they did. It was called Manhunter, mm-hmm. and only later were they like, "Well, we want, we want, uh, we want Anthony Hopkins, uh, Hannibal Lecter." So, so they remade, they remade it, with... it, and it was shit. But... Yeah, it was not was not very good. Although, yeah. but first I... they did Hannibal, which was okay. Yeah. Oh God, you can you can make a whole podcast episode about like about like the hype behind Hannibal. Like, oh, it was massive. It was. I, I remember. Do you remember the commercial where it showed Han, like Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal, and he looks a certain way, and for some reason his eye turns red, but it's like, it's just weird that they chose to do that. I don't know. No, I just there remember Jonathan Demi was like, was like, yeah, that book's not good. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to turn it into a movie. And yeah. uh, they were like, fine, we'll get Ridley Scott. <laughs> and of course, and of but course, he said yes. Anyway, we keep we keep drifting off subject. I yeah. apologize. But, but that's kinda, how connected Michael Mann is. That's the thing. No, genuinely. no, yeah, that's that's so true. But Michael Mann is one of these so – like, talk to anybody in Hollywood. They'll be like, Michael Mann's a genius. Michael Mann's one of the best American – one of the best living American uh, filmmakers. They just, you know, they, they'll, they'll go to like, oh, what he does in uh, – what he, the work he did with uh, – with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx and Collateral, um, the fact that he sort of he's kind of responsible for making Will Smith a legitimate actor with Ali, mm-hmm. um, the the I mean the fact that he was the guy who finally got Al Pacino and Robert De Niro together in a movie, yeah. and everyone was like always expecting it to be Scorsese or or Coppola. Um, but and, it was good that it was someone different. Actually, they ne- it needed that. Yeah, uh, Michael Mann. Everyone in Hollywood respects him, but audiences are always kind of like, "Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, 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 that guy." They never quite connect. You know what it is? So Al and I have talked about doing a um, episode where we kind of talk about just different directors and folks that may eventually come out. There's a possibility. But we realize there's a series of directors where people know the movies, but they don't necessarily know that it's been made by the same person. Michael Mann is absolutely one of those directors where it's, yeah. that's the case. And, where it's, and, a, yeah. and a big reason for that, see, is that Michael Mann writes a lot of his – most of his of his, uh, of his his work. He's a writer-director. People forget mm-hmm. that. But here's the thing about Michael Mann. Since, since his debut with Thief, he is obsessed about – doing research to make sure his characters are authentic as possible. Mm-hmm. The reason the the gun showdown in Heat is so good cuz he meticulously researched how a gun sounds like like in a shootout. Yeah. The reason like look look uh so he does Thief in 81. Manhunter 4 year or 5 years later in uh 86. Well, he did The Keep too, but he, he kind of doesn't acknowledge that as a movie of his. Mm-hmm. Then after 86, he does Last of the Mohicans in 92. Uh, then you have the shortest amount of time between his, his movies with uh, Heat in 95. Four years later, The Insider. Uh, three years later, so equal to between Last of the Mohicans and Heat with Ali. And then doesn't do another film until two, 
twenty or two thousand four's Collateral, then Miami Vice, and then it's almost like four years until Public Enemies, mm-hmm. and then his biggest gap, like uh, almost uh, let's see, it was a six long, years. It, between, I was in high school when one came out, and I was in college when the next one yeah. came out. So so six was, years uh, between uh, Public Enemies and Black Hat. Yeah. And then <laughs> almost eight years between uh, Black Hat and Ferrari. Yeah. Um, so he does his research. He That's kind of his whole deal is that he does meticulous research. And credit to him, you see it on the screen. Say what you will about a guy as ripped as Chris Hemsworth being a hacker in Black Hat. The technology you see in Black Hat is all accurate. Like I, I know a guy who's into coding and he's like, Oh yeah, Black Hat's the most accurate way of the most accurate movie in regards to like hacking that that exists. There's nothing close, except no hacker looks like Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah, which is why it got all the shit that it did. No, that's literally all. But because people were saying like, oh, it's like it's just so unrealistic. Although, yeah, that isn't, one isn't it's isn't it, isn't it true to because it's so accurate? It's kind of having a bit of a resurgence. Not huge, but like people are paying attention to it a little bit more. Well, it kind of predicted that. the future in the sense of like. Like there's only really two entities that combat like hacking to the degree that it needs to be combated, and that's China and America. Mm-hmm. And China and America literally have army of hackers trying to like spy on each other. Yeah. And, but then there's this time when there's like a third party hacker, they team up to try to find them. So mm-hmm. that ended up being true. Really? It was. Yeah, it was that, so. In, it was so intense. Well, Damn. it ended up being like it ended up predicting that like, yeah, we have a, a tech. Techno- technological com- computational cold war with china mm. um but then we team up when we're like oh there's these hackers who are trying to fuck with us so let's team up so that ended up being true but mm. you know i you kind of mentioned how last and mohicans is my favorite michael mann movie uh i see where you did you like it open up to which one was your favorite oh um so so i'll say this there are two that i hold as his best for very different reasons. Um, obviously I got to go with, with heat. It's the goat. It's amazing. It's, it's so iconic and so well done, but I really hold a soft spot in my heart for Manhunter. I think it's so, it's so well done. And it's so, it's such a movie of its time too, but like be only because it's so going so far ahead. If that makes, I know this sounds weird to say, but like, how do I put this? It's when you look at it now, it exists under the constraints that it happened during the era that it was made in just by default of how it was shot in certain ways. But because Michael Mann is pushing certain things to the limit, it actually like sh- kind of go. It, it kind of goes a little on the edge. So what makes it interesting is to watch this movie that by today's standards would look very traditional, but have an older feel to it and then suddenly get way more violent than you'd ever expect it to or Mm. have way more graphic intent. And there's something very fascinatingly jarring about it for me. Um, But I love so many of his movies. I mean, The Insider's fucking amazing. Collateral's fantastic. Last of the Mohicans, which I hadn't watched until I watched it with you, um, is really... It's more impressed. The most impressive thing is the fact that he made it. Like you would never guess 
that yeah, he did that. You would that's think like incredible. You, the the funny thing was was like I remember someone was like the first time I watched it was in college and someone wa- watched it with me and goes like who directed this John Borman. I'm like, nah, bro. You, you would think. You would yeah. think. Yeah, it was like, no, John Borman did not direct this. He's like, oh, who who did? Like, And they were like listing off like, like, was it the guy who did Waterloo? And I'm like, no. And then the credits were he's like, no way. The Heat guy directed this? I'm like, I know. This was like the movie he made right before Heat, too. Yeah. But so let's actually talk a little bit about Ferrari, his yes, newest well, project. Yes. Uh, not just the, the, the myth, the man, the legend, Michael Mann. Yeah. Sorry, the 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 myth, the legend, the man, the Michael man. I don't. Never mind. I tried. <laughs> never you, mind. You, you were almost there, see. You were. Almost but I there. wasn't. Much like my love life, I was almost there. Um, anyways, uh, so he has been trying to make Ferrari since the '90s. And what do I mean by that? Michael Mann has, on and off, he well, first of all, he's he's a man. Michael Mann is a man, and like all men, he has a fascination with automobile racing. Uh, it's a stereotype, but there is some truth to it because I also like if I see a car go fast, I'm like, ooh, fast car. I, I think that's just that's just a universal thing with guys, with dudes, with bros. I, I don't yeah. I don't know if you would agree, but no, I, I I listen. I can appreciate a nice car, and I definitely, while I don't obsess over like the technical aspects of it, like whenever it's announced that there's some new. Okay, I'll put it this way. So recently I had some trouble with my car and I had to have a rental for like two weeks and like it was nothing special, but I got to try a car that was like the newest model of something and I, I got like kind of excited about that. I was like, ooh, look at all this cool shit I can do so that, that, in that sense. And keep in mind, folks, this was a Toyota Corolla, so nothing <laughs> special about it. But even so, I was like, oh, look at all the things it can do. Look at all these gadgets. I like it. So I do, I do understand that element of it. Well, so – and one of the biggest figures in the automobile racing uh, mythology is uh, Enzo Ferrari, who created a car company under his name, Ferrari, for the sole explicit purpose of funding his true dream, creating a racing team that also bears his name. Uh, Scudetta Ferrari, I think is what it's called, or Ferrari Racing. Um, Michael Mann has had a fascination with Enzo Ferrari since the 90s and on and off has been trying to find a story within the man's life in order to tell in order to tell a story about Ferrari, right? Um, now, folks, you might be thinking, well, there's anyone who knows anything about racing, especially like Formula One racing, or especially European racing in general knows, well, there's really only one story that can be told. And that's the famous, famous just hate Filled slugfest that was the racing between the Ford racing team and the Ferrari racing team in Le Mans. The, it is, the 24 it is hours of, the most, of Le Mans. It's uh, one of the only racing stories that people who aren't into racing explicitly know about. Exactly. Like it's very and famous. Basically what happened was that Ferrari, Enzo Ferrari was about to lose his company, but he didn't want to lose control of this company. So he kind of created this false flag that he was going to sell to Ford and even even basically told the people at Ford, like, yeah, I kind of want to sell to you. And the guys at uh, Fiat were like, no, Ferrari can't be owned by an American. So they conceded to give him control as long as he didn't sell to Ford. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, John Ford II did not take that very well because it basically got spat in his face. So he literally said, 
hey, we're going to make a racing company and we're going to beat Team Ferrari in the 24-hour Le Mans. And this story is told in a really, really good 2019 film called Ford v. Ferrari. Yes. And it is amazing, folks. Check check that movie out. That movie's great. Directed by uh, James Mangold, starring yep. uh, starring uh, uh, Christian Bale and... Uh, uh, Matt Damon. Matt Damon, thank you. Matt Damon, John Bernthal's in it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really, really good movie. And uh, uh, Tracy, Tracy Letts, Letts yeah, as, yes. uh, as John Ford II. Tracy Letts, yes. one of Chicago's favorite sons. Yes. Uh, well, uh, because uh, let me just say, as a as a writer myself, Tracy Letts is an incredibly talented playwright. Probably one of the best living playwrights currently. I mean, oh, yeah. greatest living yeah. American playwrights out there, without and, a doubt. And I, again, I said one of Chicago's favorite sons. Yes. Uh, God, now, Chicago brings out a lot of screenwriters and playwrights, but that's a different oh, story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a different oh, story. Yeah. But so the... The, here's the thing, though. You might be thinking, like, oh, well, that was a story. Why didn't Michael Mann do that? Why why did he kind of let that slip by? Apparently, apparently what happened was that that was his original story. Mm-hmm. But he just wanted an amount of funding that he just couldn't get. And eventually, somehow or another, uh, 20th Century Fox uh, also got some rights uh, but I think they got the rights from the perspective of the Ford company. Mm. And they there was this standoff between Michael Mann and the producers of Ford v. Ferrari. And the understanding was, was like, okay, how's about we make you an executive producer and uh, we make you an executive producer and uh, you can still have your own Ferrari story. That's your own thing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we kind of we kind of tell this story specifically. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was the agreement. And uh, that's why you can see Michael Mann as an executive producer of Ford v. Ferrari. Which at the time we thought was kind of like, oh, this is going to build off of the auto universe, so to speak. Like legit people thought that was going to be a thing for a minute. Yeah. Um, And so now he has the most famous story off of the table. And uh, the, the irony of ironies was... The irony of ironies was that he had originally cast Christian Bale as uh, Enzo Ferrari, and uh, that ended up falling through, and Christian Bale ended up being on Ford v. Ferrari, and the guy that was originally going to play Christian Bale's character in Ford v. Ferrari ended up going with Michael Mann in Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman was going to be in Ford v. Ferrari. Yep, that was He ended up going to be Enzo Ferrari in that one. But he ended up dropping out. I don't know why, and funding fell through. Uh, eventually Michael Mann was able to secure enough funding and he was able to convince uh, Adam Driver to step into the role of Enzo Ferrari. Uh, the biggest, the funniest thing throughout all this was that there was one cast member that was consistent throughout the whole thing. He always, always had uh, Penelope Cruz in mind for the role of, of Ferrari's wife, Laura Ferrari. So she was there when it was going to be her and Christian Bale. She was there when it was going to be her and Hugh Jackman. And she was there. It was always going to be her. It was always going to be her. Uh, And I think that shows in the film, I I would say myself. Oh, you can tell she's been, she had some staying power in this, but we'll get to that. So, you know, he finally, finally is able to make his film. What do we think about? Through the company Neon, might we add, which is basically, they're the other A24 is the best way to put them. Exactly. They're the ones who, they're the ones who distributed uh, Parasite for those that don't know. Yes. They're like, no, we're really the niche ones, guys. It's like, all yeah. right. And sure. we also have a best we also have the best picture. We had a best picture winner before A twenty four had a best picture oh, winner. Oh, wait, 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 no. Um Moonlight came out after Parasite? 
The Moonlight Oh, Kingdom. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Moonlight... Moonlight's A24. Moonlight's A24. I, see, yes. here I was thinking about everything everywhere all at once. No, yeah, Moonlight is A24. But oh, wow. granted, I think A24 was attached to a few other companies. It wasn't like fully exclusively. They weren't the biggest dog, so to speak. Okay, okay. But so, uh, so yeah, see, I, how's about how's about we watch the trailer and then give our review on Ferrari? Let's do it. Two objects cannot occupy the same point in space the same moment in time. The corner races at you. You have perhaps a crisis of identity. Am I a sportsman? Or a competitor? If you get into one of my cars... Get in the wind. It's slow. And so? You're going broke. How? You spend more than you made. So what do I do? Win the Mille Milla, Enzo. Or you are out of business. This is a gun pointed at our head. You should assign me control of your stock. I have to have all the cards in my hand. Well, half the cards are in my hand. All of us are racers. It's our deadly passion. Our terrible joy. No one ever needs me back. How can I stay with? cannot occupy the same point in space at the same moment in time. When so? Go beat the hell out of them. So, I, I gotta, I, so, I, I gotta say, what does, what, moment in time in Enzo Ferrari's life does the film Ferrari cover uh quite simply <laughs> Michael Mann was like all right what happened before the 24 hour of Le Mans and it was oh uh the 57 1957 Mia Mia or Mil Niglia Mia race but didn't he know and maybe I'm wrong here didn't he knowingly have to like take other events that didn't quite happen around the same time and like yeah, kind of mesh them in there yeah. to make it more interesting. Yeah. Pretty much. So uh, this covers the this covers the, the 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 moment in time where Enzo Ferrari realizes his company is going to go under and he needs to sell, but he wants to maintain control. And the Mille Miglia, the it's a one thousand mile race across Italy, is kind of his way to show that hey, his racing team is worth being bought. 
Mm -hmm. uh, so literally the the time before he tried to bait Ford into buying his company. Yeah, he so, was trying to he was trying to bait someone else, I guess, into doing it. Was, it. He, it was when he was trying to bait Ferrari. Yes. Uh, Wait, bait Ferrari? Or he no, bait Fiat. Sorry. Thank he you. was baiting Fiat. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what is there to know about Ferrari or Enzo Ferrari? Well, uh, he is uh, he is a dad. A dad, a father who's lost his his son, and uh, him and his wife have not taken that well, like no. at all. No. Uh, also, uh, he is having an affair with a former worker of his, Linda Lardy, played by Shailene Woodley, and they now have a son together. Yes. Uh, so there's that. Uh, and this isn't so much of a spoiler, folks, because a you can look it up, and b this is revealed very quickly. Yeah, and uh, also um, he. There are other companies. Uh, I think a Mas uh, Maserati is like claiming to have built a faster car than Ferrari. So he has to deal with that because he still wants to be the guy who makes the fastest cars in all of Italy. So there, there, there's, there's stuff going. Enzo Ferrari is having a is going through a lot. He's going through a lot. Yeah. Uh, let's just say some of his best drivers ended up end up not being available, to put it lightly. And now yeah. he's got to get a new hothead uh, guy. Uh, I believe a, a Spanish racer named Alfonso de Portago, uh, mm. new hothead racer. So trying to get him under his wing, trying to teach him how to be a good Ferrari race car driver. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, a lot of stuff going on in his life. And uh, I would say, I would say that there's a lot of things going on in his life. But, man, it's it's nowhere as interesting as what the Ford v. Ferrari story was I see, and no, no, that's, so that's the thing is like nothing will nothing involving Ferrari will be as interesting as the Ford D Ferrari story which we kind of have already stated but I'm stating again like it's just because at that point it's, it's like the not, perfect it, sports it, movie it's, it's David and Go, it's David and Goliath but with yeah. cars and it actually happened that's like you can't beat that so then when I when I I remember when I heard they were like oh they're gonna do Ferrari and it's like I was like oh, well what they I kind of what I thought they were gonna do it was just gonna be hit, it was gonna just chronicle different high points of his life or low and high points of his life because I was like that's the only thing you can do and I actually thought they were gonna include elements of the Ford v Ferrari story. But, like, just show, like, other things that were going on around it. So, like, you were going to show him building the car, designing it, like, more in-depth about that. I thought, keep in mind, this is back when I thought Hugh Jackman was playing Enzo Ferrari, which I thought was going to be very good. Um, but that's genuinely what I thought they were going to do because there is no other self-contained singular moment to, like, really capture Ferrari in that way. And... What you were expecting you were expecting sort of a cradle to grave biopic. No, yeah, because I was like, that's all you can do. A cradle to grave biopic that's sort of a highlight reel. And I'm not saying that that was going to be necessarily the best thing to do, but I did think at this point it was the only thing to do. Like, if you're not going to do the for the Ford story, you know, that's all you can do is just get the highlight reel. Yeah, kind of um, capture because because the film the film actually starts off like. Like a, a kind of a flat, sort of a flashback, like an, a prologue of his, of like him winning a race when he was a race car driver. Yeah. Um, and you're like, okay, that's what this is going to be. And no, we immediately go to the summer of 1957. And yeah, he's like, oh, uh, my company's going bankrupt. I got to 
I got to win a race in order to impress bigger companies to want to buy me out, but still give me control. And you're like, like this is not anywhere near as interesting as, like you said, as as the 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 rivalry between him and and uh, and uh, Henry Ford the second, like just nowhere near as interesting. And like they're like, okay, well, uh, what about if we like kind of explore his affair? with Lena, Lena Lardy and kind of the breakdown of his marriage with Laura Ferrari. And you're like, that could work. But and I don't know if this was Michael Mann's creative decision or if this is just how Adam Driver decided to play it. He plays Enzo Ferrari as very much a, just this very like emotionally like reserved guy, right? Yeah. <clears throat> what he does in this, it's kind of, and you even see it in the trailers, where, you know what it is? It's He's like super guarded. You know what it is for me? It's you ever see really okay? He's super guarded. This is gonna sound really mean, and I'm sorry, Adam Driver. You're a great actor. In in certain moments, it seemed a bit like a like an Al Pacino impression at times. You know what I mean? Like, there's this moment where she goes. Uh, well, we we we've both we we've both seen House of Gucci. His Italian accent is not great. <laughs> no, yeah, and that was my other. That was my. See, that was the other thing I was gonna mention. It's like when I heard Adam Driver was being cast at this, I was like, but why? Like, we saw the result of that, and didn't we understand that that was not maybe the best choice? Like, that wasn't maybe the way to go on this. And it's just there's this moment where he's like. <sighs> Adam Driver is an amazing actor for certain kinds of things because he really stands out in so many ways. Yeah. But the problem is Adam Driver doesn't really look like for Enzo Ferrari, A. B, he can't do Italian accents that well. And C, it just comes so well to answer those two and to, to be the equation in that, you just have this moment where it's like he's kind of impersonating some sort of Italian character. And he's also like trying to like walk a weird way at times. And it's like, he's almost like, he almost was told to act like Enzo Ferrari has to act like he knows everything's going to be okay. But then randomly he would then have an emotional explosion at times. That was, that was the big thing with my problem with Adam Driver's performance as Enzo Ferrari is that he's kind of stone faced for like a large chunk and like the the first there's a sequence an extended sequence with uh when when we are introduced to Enzo Ferrari in in the 1957 yeah. he's talking to his recently deceased son like the 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 what's that thing called the 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 it's not a tomb it's um Oh, it's the mausoleum, the, uh, the, the mausoleum, yeah, the mausoleum of his of his recently. Which even that was awkward, and it well, was okay. It was it was a little awkward, but you saw what he was trying to do. He's trying to be he's trying to be stiff upper lip. He's he's trying to be stoic. This yeah. is a stoic man because he's got so much on his shoulders he can't break. And then you know he 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 starts to sob a little bit, and I was like, okay. That's 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 pretty good. I mean, it's it's a little awkward because the accent's kind of meh, but it's yeah. it's okay. Yeah. And then he's like just stoic, reserved, and guarded throughout the whole thing, and I was like, um, okay. And you're right. Then out of nowhere, he'll have an outburst. Yeah. And I was like, okay, like 
basically it's like okay adam kind of keep it at a two keep it at a two keep it at a two okay now 10, go 11 11 11 11 yeah. 12 11 11 it's like there, there was no like like i never i never felt that enzo ferrari had so much on his shoulders like like they make it a point to say that he suffers whenever he loses a race car driver and they tell you that and but but uh but adam driver just kind of looks again stone face where he's like moving on and you're like so can i there's a so there is a humongous tragedy that happens and you know what i real okay that happened okay i'm sorry i need to spoil something here because this is like an important element to what I think could have made the movie work. Are, are you are you are you going to talk about the early thing or the thing that happens in the third act? The thing that happens in the third act. Okay, let's let's save that for a bit. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, but so in the first act, uh, he loses a race car driver. It, it's why the the Spanish guy, yes, is kind of come into the picture. And uh, there's this whole thing about like the girlfriend or the wife of the race car driver who died is there and he's like, okay, she needs to be taken care of. And the guy, and one of the characters goes like, Oh, Enzo's Enzo suffers, but he has to suffer in silence because for the good of the company. Mm. And I'm like, no, he just seemed like he didn't give a fuck. No, yeah, he's he's. They were like, they realized, oh shit, like he's suffering in silence. It's like, no, he's currently drinking a cafe, a coffee, and not caring at all. Yeah. And then like, you know what the weird thing was? They then cut, and he goes to like meet all these dudes in like a restaurant in a private room, and they're talking and they're laughing, and then he goes into that whole, you know, racing is our curse. It's like, like, is this you giving a shit? Is that what this is? Because you were just ha- like br- having a bro down with your friends, and now like, what the and, fuck? And here's the thing, Michael Mann, like, you know, Michael Mann always so, in the directors, I kind of always fall into the one or two camps or three camps. The technicians, these are the guys who are like they do just crazy shit with the camera. Uh, their movies are like, their their movies are like always technical marvels. Um, they kind of don't pay as much attention to the, Story. to the to the acting to the performance as they should. They're kind of more. Th- this is usually like your blockbuster directors. This is this is like Michael Bay. Michael Bay's the stereotype. Yeah, Michael Bay. Michael Bay's one. Uh, sometimes really Scott gets gets kind of pushed into that. James Tony Cameron definitely. Yeah. Tony Scott. Yeah. Uh, then you got the guy. The, the then you have kind of the. Um, the, the actor's director. The, these are the people, these are the playwrights or, or the, yeah. the play directors almost. These we, are, Wes, Wes Anderson is a big well, one. Like, yeah, uh, Mike Lee is like yeah. the most famous one. Yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, 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 the, the... Oh, who did Marriage Story? Uh, yeah, Noah Bumbach. Yeah. Noah Bumbach, he's a major one of those. Before um, Barbie, that was kind of Greta Gerwig's thing too. Yep. Uh, also, um, like all those like, Remember those indie comedians, like uh, the the ones that made like oh the Duplass brothers. They yeah, the Duplass brothers. You know that whole Mumblecore guy. Everyone yeah. who's done Mumblecore was kind of into that. Yeah. And then in the middle, you had your storytellers. These were the guys who could do both and really good at yeah. it. This was Steven Spielberg. This was uh, Martin Scorsese, right? Yeah. Uh, Michael Mann is kind of always been pushed to the technician side because like his movies are always really technically proficient. Uh, yeah. But really and truly, he is—he can be a storyteller. Uh, yeah. You see this in The Insider. You see this in Heat. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, do you see this? You know what it is, though? It's simply because, as I said earlier, it's the not everybody knows it's the same dude making these movies. And B, or, and, and whatever, the movies he's most known for have a similar vibe. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Why. No, you're totally right. But I would say, like, listen, if you don't believe me that Michael Mann knows how to direct actors, the simple fact that everyone agrees Channing Tatum's first, like, legit acting performance in in uh, in uh, Public Enemies, everyone mm. was like, wait, Channing Tatum can act? Are you serious? Because he has, like, a monologue that really tugs at your heartstrings. Yeah. Um, so Michael, Michael Mann can direct actors. I just... I wonder what led to this decision. Because Adam Driver is a great, great actor. Of course. Uh, I mean, God. I mean, everyone talks about his performance in Girls, but Marriage Story. Marriage uh, Story, holy shit. Uh, oh, he's, um, he, Everyone even, agrees he's like the only good thing in the Star Wars sequels. Yep. Uh, uh, he's he's amazing in, um, hell, he has a bit role in Inside Lewin Davis that is fantastic. He's really good in Black Klansman. That got him an Oscar nom, I think. It did. It Have did. you seen him in Annette? Annette is great. I oh my god, he's so good in Annette. Um, and uh, his role in Silence. Oh, in he's great in Logan Lucky too, and in Silence. Yes. Oh so. yeah, he's great. Like Adam Driver. Adam. It, it's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when Adam Driver is going to win his Oscar. Yeah, uh, it will happen. And and again, his 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 breakdown in Marriage Story was one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah, he got uh, he got a second nomination for Marriage Story, right? I I don't remember. I know I, I he did. Scott Johansson got nominated, I think. But anyway, yeah. anyway, so who knows what led to this very like stilted performance? It's not stoic; it's stilted. Yeah, but it is what it is. Now you know who was really really good performance wise in this, Penelope Cruz. Oh my yes. god! Like one of the big everyone's saying that the biggest snub is that one of the big snubs is that Penelope Cruz wasn't nominated for Best Supporting Actress. But but that category was really stacked, I think. Yeah, it was impossibly stacked. The thing is, the actress nominations for the Academy Awards, which have been, well, all the Academy Award nominations have been announced, but my God, the that is all, all the acting categories were super stacked. So I mean, either way, you're going to miss I personally someone. would say that her performance was better than America Ferreira's in Barbie. And then a lot of people are saying that Penelope Cruz should have gotten in over Jodie Foster from Niad, but I don't know. I don't. I I haven't seen Niad, so neither uh, have I. I can't speak. It's on Netflix, but I can't speak to it. But everyone's been saying like, no, it shouldn't have been Jodie Foster. It should have been Penelope Cruz. Mm. That being, but she's so good because she perfectly encapsulates uh, not only a grieving mother, but uh, a wife who knows the marriage is over, but just doesn't want to admit it because she's too proud. Like, yeah. uh, do you remember her first scene? <laughs> I don't. Oh yes! Oh my god, I do. Oh my god, in the in the oh my god in that whole in the office in the room. Oh my yeah. god, that was so funny. And, and listen, on paper that just play that could play so, like, like too broad, too like jokey, too comedic. Mm -hmm. But when it actually happens, is that perfect? So basically, what she does is that she knows uh, Enzo Ferrari has been out with a, with another woman. So she's just like she. There's one rule: be home before the help wakes up, and yeah. he's not home before the help wakes up. So she's just like pacing like a wild animal, just wondering where is this guy? Where is this guy? And then without saying a word, she shoots. She shoots at him. Oh my god! I <laughs> and forgot about this. again, it could it could play so like is this like supposed to be a comedic bit? 
but it's that perfect mix of like, no, this is serious business, but it's still a little funny. And again, like there's one scene where Adam, where Enzo Ferrari has to tell his wife, like, Hey, I need you to give me your shares of the company. The only leverage this woman has on her husband, her philandering husband. Mm -hmm. And she makes such good work of that scene. Oh, people keep forgetting that Penelope Cruz legit is a really, really great actress. Really? Oh, she's fantastic. Compare that with uh, Shalene Woodley in this, who plays the other woman, Lena Lardy. So if Adam Driver is not good with his Italian accent, Shalene Woodley's like, let me try and now just stop. Now I'm just some random American girl in Italy. I know. So that was the thing. It's like there was this moment where she had the Italian accent and then she just stopped. And Michael for Mann's like, like two I'm, minutes. I, yeah. And Michael Mann's like, you know, I don't care. Just do what you want. Do whatever. Like it got to How the point that it? I was like, I was like, wait, did did Enzo Ferrari have an affair with an American woman? And it's like, no, just to do an Italian accent. And like, listen, she's there to be like the actual support for Enzo Ferrari. And she's kind of there to push him to acknowledge their son as his, because people forget like in the old world, if you were like, if your dad didn't recognize you, you would legally be labeled a bastard. And that was not fun. No. Uh, but yeah, it, it, Shailene Woodley and she's, she's good in a lot of stuff. I think like she's great in the descendants. She's really, really good in, uh, in, uh, that, that HBO show, um, Big Little uh, Lies. Yes. She's fantastic in that. No, she's a great actress. Not denying that even for a moment. Um, this, it was like, this was not it. I think that what this was was that because here's the thing, Shalene Woodley has been pretty vocal that she does not take roles that are just like, oh, I'm just a supportive wife or oh, I'm just the girlfriend. But I think she goes like, wait, who's directing this? Michael Mann? Hell yeah, I'll be the supportive girlfriend. I don't give well, a no, fuck. Well, she, no, she um, well, she, she, the thing is, and this is not a bad move on her end. I'm not criticizing her for this at all. She, she'll, I think what she's decided is like, oh, if the director's right, it's whatever role they want me to be. So yeah. for example, she, when she was told, oh, I get to be in an Oliver Stone movie. Yeah, I'll be Edward Stone's girlfriend. Sounds great. Well, that like, was where she was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to play like, but she was trying to justify it. Like, no, there's actually substance to the role. No, there wasn't. But anyway. No, wasn't. But okay. You know, uh, you do you. Yeah. But on it. To be fi- to be honest, folks, Penelope Cruz is the performing standout in this. And here's the other thing: the 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 supporting cast is made up of like really recognizable faces. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, just playing like some of the race car drivers. You have uh, McDreamy himself. Uh, Patrick oh, that Dempsey. was so weird. That was yeah. So, so Patrick Dempsey, for there. those that don't know, there are like two actors who, in their spare time, play race car or are race car drivers. Yeah. It's Patrick Dempsey and Michael Fassbender, and they've both raced at twenty four hours at Le Mans. Wait, no, no, Idris Elba just likes to drive cars. He isn't a ra- he isn't a racer. That's right. I got that mixed up. But yeah, yeah. So you uh, have you have so pa- Patrick Dempsey who plays Piero Taruffi, like the the oldest racer that uh, Enzo Ferrari had. You have Jack O'Connell playing uh, Peter Collins, like another racer who's been with the Team Ferrari for a while. Jack O'Connell's so weird because, like, between 2013 and 2016, he was, like, going to be the next big thing, and then he disappeared. Now he just pops up in random stuff. 
No, like there, there was a moment in time where people were like, oh, Jack O'Connell's gonna be Nightwing in uh, Batman v Superman. And I remember that. That was the talk, and then it just didn't happen. Yeah, it just didn't happen. Um, and uh, so you got these guys, and then uh, you got uh, Samuel Hubinet as Mike Hawthorne. Um, Sarah Gadden plays uh, plays uh, Deportago's uh, girlfriend, uh, Linda Christian, who apparently was a big actress at the time. Here's the crazy thing. Sarah Gatton has like two or three lines in the movie. That's it. Mm-hmm. And she's not like a unknown actress. She's, she's been in, she's, she's worked with uh, David Cronenberg. She was in that Dracula untold movie. Oh, that's uh, right. She was in that Hulu TV show, uh, 1964. The, the one about trying to stop, uh, uh, JFK's assassination. Oh, uh, that one. Okay. Yeah. And she has like two or three lines. She's just, she's literally there just to be eye candy. Um, yeah, but uh, I would say well, this of- was this was a movie. This was listen, I'm not shitting on Michael Mann when I say this. I think he was doing this was a movie of its time, but made f- much later than it should have. It should have been made. I think it's unfortunate that this movie took so long for Michael Mann to get off the ground. I think if he had the level he was at in the 90s. And probably the the greater amount of money he had, I think there could have been something there. He could have really achieved something. But I just because we're we're touching on the fact that we're touching on some problems here. But I think I don't entirely blame almost anyone involved because I think at the end of the day, what the main problem was is it's so clear to anyone with eyes that this movie just l- severely lacked funding that it needed. I, and that's that's yeah. something I, I was going to bring up is yeah. that Black Hat uh, did not make a – in fact, it was a big bomb. I think it was one of the yeah. biggest bombs of the He had two bombs back-to-back well, back back for him, Public Enemies, yeah, public and, enemies. Uh, and Black Hat. And it took forever for, for Mike – like it took forever for Michael Mann to get funding here. And there were there were moments in time where – Folks, if you've seen a Michael Mann movie, you know that he's second only to someone like David Fincher, where he's like absolute control of the camera. This is not a guy who does uh, handheld like no. all the time. He he is so meticulous about how where he places the camera that that you know it it, it could it could almost be said that like. It, it could almost be said that well the this camera angle could only be here because that's the only place it would fit. Mm-hmm. He's that meticulous, and we're watching this movie, and I just, I just, I remember because we watched it with our friend Jay. I just go, "There's a lot of handheld shots in this." Yeah, and that shocked me. Not as much as it shocked me when David Fincher does it, but I was shocked. Cause I'm like, "Where's, where's the, where's the famous like Michael Mann like tracking shot? Where's the famous like crazy cuts to kind of established location shots? Where's?" Where's just kind of the intense editing? Where where is all this? It's just kind of handheld shots that that go on for a bit too long. Mm-hmm. Like where is it? And uh, it it became very apparent that like oh they just didn't have the money to first of all get as much coverage as a Michael Mann movie normally has, and they did not have and they had to do like a bunch of like medium shots and close ups because they don't have the budget to really do some set dressing on location. And, you know, that that was most apparent in the because you're absolutely right. What Michael Mann's really good at in his scenes that aren't absolutely action packed is it there's there's these mini um, 
uh, insert shots. No, there are not many. There's these insert shots that just help build the aesthetic and character of the scene. He's really good at that. Um, in Collateral, it's a great moment where uh, Jamie Foxx is driving the taxi, the taxi for him. And you just see these little features of the taxi and like the little the little things he hangs above the taxi uh, as he's talking about what he what he does and drive and how he drives people around. And it just helps build the setting of who this person is. And you see little things that he's hiding, too. Um, and then and- say same with his other movies. But this it's like you saw the beginnings of it, but you didn't get those insert shots. And, and, was, and the, yeah. the crazy thing is, is that. Michael Mann has been shooting digital since the mid two thousands. He doesn't shoot on film. He's a hardcore digital only guy. Collateral was like the big move to show that it could be done right. Like, like my thing was that it's okay. You're not spending money on film. Why can't you get the coverage that you need? Why, why are you shooting? Cause, cause when you shoot handheld, you're shooting fast. And then it hit me. They don't have the money to schedule that many days. In fact, uh, if, if, if I take a good look, like, so, folks, remember this is Ferrari's not only a period piece; it's also it's it's a race car movie. That means, that means that that this stuff's expensive. You know, like very ra- racing movies are are pretty expensive to make. Yeah. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, they shot this like because here's the thing: when you have cars, uh, you have to you have to like. There's going to be a lot of second unit stuff, right? Yeah. And with and if you have a second unit, you're going to and multiple second units at that that the uh the the costs add up. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, at, not just that. Adam, these are these aren't just expensive cars. These are some of the most expensive versions of expensive cars. Yeah. This uh this movie was shot in a month. No. Yeah. A month. Yeah, Jesus. production production lasted a month. That's insane. That's fucking crazy. I assumed they shot it over the summer. I didn't. I didn't think it was a month. Oh my god. That is. Yeah. That is really depressing. Now that I know more about that. Oh my god. Yeah. That's. But it explains so much too. It really does. It, it explains why, like. Like and films can be shot in a month. Oh, of course they can, but just not a film of this of this like scale. Mumblecore's can be shot in a month. You know, movies with a lot of talking in them or a courtroom drama where you only maybe have like two locations. You know, but this you are shooting an entire fucking race and a whole story around it. Like, what? Um, no. Oh, yeah. and. uh and turns out uh, Michael Mann's been trying to make this since 1993. <laughs> so. Oh, so for as lo- nearly as long as I've been alive, the, he's been trying to make this. No, thing. And, and here's the thing that that's kind of that's that's kind of the shame of this is that he needed a big budget. He couldn't get it because of his two back to back bombs. And, and it just shows in the in the product. I mean, l- listen, credit where credit is due with uh, with Michael Mann. That he put all the, like he was willing to sacrifice his shooting days. Uh, oh, by the way, I mean like a month for like the the main the main unit. Yeah, uh, first unit, second unit. I think had like I think in total the whole thing was like three months, three four months. Okay. But for like the actors and stuff, that was like a month, a month and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
credit where credit is due is that Michael Mann was able to like budget and schedule where the race cars are there and the race cars are real. Right? Yeah. Oh, they're real. They, they look great. Like, like he makes sure, like, listen, they're at least here to see some racing. Let me show them some racing. So credit to him that even though he did not have nearly the budget that he needed to, to make his vision, he was still like, okay, at least let me make the main thing, which is the racing, the cars, the, the, the laps, the, let me focus on that. Because when, when these cars are moving, when these cars are being raced, that's where Michael Mann comes back into the picture, where that Michael Mann movie comes in. And yeah. the, the frustrating part is, is that you get it like in, in spurts throughout yeah. the first two acts. But then, and I, I, I don't know if I told this to UC or to Jay, I just go like, now we have a Michael Mann movie. Because once the, the main race that the movie's about, the Mia Miglia starts, then it's like that intense Michael Mann close-up, those incredible wide vista shots that he was a master at doing in uh, Last of the Mohicans. You get like these close-ups of the wheels just going really fast. It becomes a Michael Mann movie. Mm-hmm. And like it's kind of frustrating that the first two acts, you're like, this, this, what is this? And then now we got a Michael Mann movie and, and things start happening. Like you were about to mention earlier in the review. Yeah. Oh yeah. So if I can, uh, I, I, I want to now bring up because I also want to mention what I think could have made the story work better. So during the race, there is the main race. There is a horrible, and I mean really horrible real life accident where one of the Ferraris caught one of Ferraris cars skids off and flies basically and kills like a a lot of people in a village that were watching the race. Like, I don't know the exact death toll, but it was bad. And uh, the movie doesn't shy away from you show from seeing it. It's not like, excuse me. It's not like where like you see the car fly for a moment and then like it's implied. No, we see the car hit the people and we also see the aftermath and it's graphic. Um, Just to show you yeah. how how deep into the research Michael Mann went into, he like looked at like police photos of the scene to recreate it. Yeah. And I, I I I not that I'm a morbid guy, but I was like, oh. Because, you know, you can go on Wikipedia and they have links to that stuff. And I was like, holy crap. Michael Mann really recreated the scene. Just to show you that the man does do his research. Well, so, but what I'm saying is, so, watching it, right when that happened, that's when the movie, like, finally hit its emotional edge. But way late into the third act, which is way too late at that point. And then after the movie does it, the movie kind of attempts to quickly wrap it up. It treated that whole accident as almost like, oh God, we have to deal with this. Like, this isn't actually what we want to deal with, you have in the movie, but it happened, so we have to include it. It just felt like the movie couldn't have, not couldn't have cared, but like was trying to hurry it along and was only focusing on one element of the tragedy. It wasn't really focusing on the massive loss of human life. Well, it see, focused on the I, fact the driver died. I, I, I gotta say, the reason they gotta wrap it up is because they don't have money. Oh, no, and I agree. I agree. So what I would argue, and, you know, I'm no director yet, but what I would have done is you make this movie Ferrari. The movie opens, should have opened with that horrific sequence, okay? Just to let you the fuck know what you're watching. And then the movie should have intercut between him 
trying to get everything ready for the race and him dealing with the court case after that accident and him trying to like reconcile the fact that what he did caused the death of so many people. You can of course include his horrible marriage and the fact that he cheated on his wife and all of that. But you can still have that Michael Mann energy with that like conspiracy court stuff, but in Italy while he's trying to deal with his company, but then you just go back to the race as well. And it's sort of him analyzing like how responsible was he? And he's trying to deal with that. That's how you create an interesting Enzo Ferrara movie with that. And I wouldn't have known that until I had watched that and looked it up later, how significant it was. And Ferrari, you know, he very much was standoffish and bullish, but there's a lot of witness accounts that, that do claim that he was incredibly shaken up by that. And dis and, wrecked by that when that but, happened but see don't you remember they tell us like oh he's shaken up every time a race i know dies. but that's the, okay yes that's okay yes and and you're absolutely right now that is one of the biggest problems of the movie is they're telling us how shaken up enzo ferrari is but we're not fucking seeing it or, like like adam driver is not doing a good job being able to present that in his like literally he he gets the mo the most energy he gives is instead of like him being distraught as you said he's told we're distraught about how all those children and villagers died in the car crash we're told he is and then once he starts getting potentially accused of the equivalent of manslaughter he goes onto the news and gives this bolstering performance of do you want to be a i want you want me to be a scapegoat it's like why is the energy here like why is the rage why is all the passion in this moment where's the where's the you, you know yeah. you know that the performance is a little misguided when in the immediate aftermath of the accident scene, they're, yeah. they're like, they're like looking, they're like taking a look at the wrecked car and they just go like, it wasn't the car. No, it had to have been something on the road. Okay. Moving on. Yeah. And they like, just move on with it. And I'm like this, you're right. It was completely misguided. Completely yeah. misguided. But, and listen, I know I, I might have sounded a little excited when I talked about like how the third act it finally becomes a Michael Mann movie. Yeah. Even then, that's still a little tainted because, make no mistake, that's the scene with the crash is very intense. But man, that CGI is shoddy. Yeah, like, like you look shoddy, at it and you're like, and you look at it and you're like, you're you're still shocked. You're like, oh fuck, like you can't not be. But this, know, there was the, there was some ragdoll physics. You know, this, this is actually kind of funny. I remember someone said like Michael Mann had the exact opposite problem as uh, Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese for his like movie passion project was given all the money in the world by Paramount and Apple TV. Yep. And uh, Michael Mann could not get like, that's the thing I was like, how come Michael Mann didn't just go to Apple or that's Netflix? my point. He could have gone to Apple or Netflix. I'm sure one of them would have said yes. And given what? him the amount of money he needed to make yeah. to fulfill his vision. Now, but I don't. I don't know why. I mean, Maybe you know what it might have been because I feel like Michael Mann cares about this kind of thing. If he did go to uh, one of them, listen. He if he's let's let's assume the timeline is the same about when this was going to come out. Well, guess what? If he goes to Apple, okay, and Apple's like, well, listen, we already have the movies we're going to put on the big screen, so we'll give you a couple of screens to make sure that like. You can potentially get some Oscars here, but it's not getting a wide release. You're going straight to straight to our streaming oh, platform right I, away. I, I got to push back on that because yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, Ferrari as a concept is more accessible to the, the movie going audience than Killers of the Flower Moon. No, I agree. And that's what I'm what I'm saying is that like, so you th you think 
Apple TV would have cared about that? I mean, if they were willing to put Killers of the Flower Moon into theaters, I see no reason, like, for, like, there's a reason Neon put out Ferrari on Christmas, because they're like, yeah, this is a dad movie. I, I think enough. I think Apple would have gone like, listen, this is a dad movie. This will make, like, I just think maybe Michael Mann is, is well, th- that doesn't even make sense, because he, he, he's directed television for, like, uh, for, for, Amazon Prime or oh, Prime right, Video, like with that that Tokyo movie with uh with uh Ansel Elgort. Oh, Tokyo uh, Vice. Yeah. So so I I don't know why he didn't go to the streamers. I'm sure they would have given him a theatrical re- release because like scavenging money, like like when he has the type of name he has, it just it just makes no sense. Um. Or honestly, just be like, okay, I can't make my vision now. Let me set it aside for later when when I have a couple hits under my belt. Like, do that. But you can because... you can also tell that he was getting impatient. Wait, if you've been working on it since '93, that's yeah. Fair. And already, like the story he probably wanted to tell got released like five year or four years earlier. Yeah. Yeah, but um, so how about we we give our rating for this movie? <laughs> yeah, Michael, man, we love you. By the way, let's be no, clear we do, about we that. do, we, we we straight up do. You are better than us, and we love you. Please. No, like like the fact that you haven't won a best directing Oscar is a crime. It's a, tr- it's a crime. It's a crime. It's it's yeah. it's fucked up. So see, what do you give this? Unfortunately, I give this movie a meh. I, I just I do. It's it's it's. You know what? I'll, I'll clarify. This is a misguided meh. It's uninspired. It's it, it's. It's just it's it, it's a meh. It, it, they, I've said why. I don't want I don't want to bully Michael Mann. That's not right. It's it's just a misguided meh. This is a poor meh to me. It's it's it, the lack of money just shows on the screen. Mm. It shows with the with the handheld camera. It shows with uh, the lack of coverage. It shows with it shows with every. The only time you start seeing like a Michael Mann movie is is in the third act when the the Mia Miglia is underway. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Adam Driver was miscast, and that's the first time I've ever said that. Like, no, I I agree. Adam Driver was vastly miscast in this. And I yeah, think, I think that's the first time I've said that too. Yeah, I I, 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 and I don't think it's the Italian accent. I just don't think he knows how to how to balance that line between being stoic and being emotional like like i you know what it is i don't think adam driver's at that skill yet where he can present himself as stoic but then you see the performance behind the eyes it also mm-hmm. doesn't help that he wears sunglasses everywhere no i know that didn't help either this is this is a performance yeah. that christian should bale be could do. yeah oh easy christian bale can do hugh the jackman act. would have been great too. Yeah, Hugh Jackman can do that too, um, but I, I think Adam Driver's still a little too green to be able to pull that off. Um, Penelope Cruz is great; she's she's really really good in this, and oh, yeah. the racing when it's on screen, it's really really good. Not mm. as good as not as good Other, as Ferrari, yes. and nowhere near as good as uh, Rush. As Rush, oh, by the way, folks, just just yeah. just putting that out there. Yeah. If if you if you're like really in the mood for a racing movie, I guarantee you've never seen Rush. Go see Rush. Rush is Rush, probably the greatest racing movie ever made. It is the greatest racing movie ever made. Period. 
Okay, fine. Second only to Speed Racer. I'm <laughs> no, it's Rush. Rush is the greatest racing movie ever made. And full stop. And it's 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 incredible. And it's 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 shocking to say that if you told me like a race a racing movie directed by Ron Howard versus a racing movie directed by Michael Mann, which is going to be the <laughs> more, more dynamic looking one, I would have been like, Michael Mann. Wait, 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 wait. I need to ask you something. Are we dare suggesting that Neil Blomkamp made a better racing movie? Yes. Oh my God! I never thought I'd say fucking that. Well, here's the thing. Neil you know Blomkamp, what? You 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 can go back to the episode. One of us said, and guys, today we're talking about the most quintessential racing movie of the year, and we both laughed because we knew Ferrari's coming out, and it ended up being true. The the the, the crazy thing is, is that like here's the thing. Neil Blomkamp was able to make a, a more interesting looking race car movie because PlayStation gave him money. Yeah, that, no, that's that's very true. Here's the thing, folks. <laughs> that's Neon the, that's, doesn't. Yeah, that's such an example of money that the difference money can make. Like, Neon just bought the rights to distribute uh, Ferrari. Michael Mann had to scour the world with financiers to make this, mm. and it shows. It really shows. This. Yeah. This is like this is the thing where like Michael Mann was like, I want to make this. It's like you don't have the money for it. Make something else. That's what most other filmmakers do when they're like, I can't afford this. Let me make something else. Um, yeah. They, it's like, oh, what other, what other thing, project have I wanted to make? Okay, I'll do this. Yeah, I just – yeah. The, 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 the money just didn't spread thin enough to be able to make what was on the screen compelling. Yeah. But listen, maybe – I mean, Ferrari, Ferrari did okay. Um, I, I did think it, it really? Did make, I think it did make it back its budget. So. Well, because it didn't have much of a budget to begin with. Exactly. So, do it. so um, hopefully, fingers crossed that some streamer out there is like, you know what? Let's get into the Michael Mann business. Because when Michael mm -hmm. Mann is working on all cylinders, he makes some amazing stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's been our review of Ferrari. And honestly, that's kind of been our last movie of 2023. It's. It was, we were a little worried there for, for yeah. a second, uh, but it ended up ending pretty strong, I would say. But we'll talk more about that during our best of, worst of episode. Oh, which... that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that. All right. So this has been What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. Racing is our curse. No two, no two objects can appear in the same space at the same period of time. Or however he says it. In his not, in his almost Luigi accent. But what can you do? All right. Good night, everybody. 